today on Ag News Daily. Yes, I'd like to keep my my originations of options open. I like to have the U.S. available. I like to have South America available. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on the 1st of August, which is incredibly hard to believe. I am joined today by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? Crazy to think it's already August, Mike. That's insane. And I'm also joined by Hannah Pagel and Hannah. School starting again soon, or student teaching is starting soon. It is. You know, I saw August 1st on the calendar today, and I was like, oh, my goodness, only 20 more days until I'm going to be on this next journey in life. So, yeah, it's a pretty kind of little shocking, but it's it's good. Change is good, right? It that is. Means, it that is. means we only get you for, like, Whatever, 15 more days, Hannah. I know. I was thinking about that, too, which I don't like thinking about that stuff. It makes it all, like, bittersweet, so. Yeah, we just need to really get all the work out of you for the next 15 days that we can. <laughs> that, that's that's what we've got to do. So, Delaney, make a list of <laughs> okay, everything sure. we can think of. Mm-hmm. And, sure. uh, yeah, yeah, we'll just cram it in there. Okay. But, Hannah, so we do only have you for a couple more days. Well two more weeks or so. So why don't you bring us up to speed? Give us your shots. What's happening in the world of agriculture today? So it's been more than 20 years since U.S. pork has been on the Argentina market. And Secretary Sonny Perdue, he was celebrating the reintroduction of American pork products by slicing a 10-pound honey-baked ham. So this deal was all sealed during Vice President Mike Pence's visit to Buenos Aires. Uh, but that is some great news, and it was kind of interesting to, like, just keep following, you know, Secretary Agri- Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Purdue, you know, cutting this ham up and, you know, celebrating. But this is big news for the pork industry, guys. Very yes, big it news. is. We need all the buyers we can get, especially with Mexico kind of taking a backseat during these, you know, trade mm-hmm. war shenanigans. But, uh, yeah, Delaney, what do you got for us? Well, we've got some moves here on the farm bill. Finally, the Senate voted last night to go ahead and move to conference. And so now they will appoint uh, Senate conferees and they're going to pick nine folks to serve on that panel. They're going to pick five Republicans and four Democrats. So basically the next step is this group of 47 House members and nine Senate members will work together to basically create one unanimous farm bill and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said yesterday to reporters that he wants to have a final bill ready to send to both the House and Senate to vote on shortly after Labor Day weekend, which is just really a month away. Yeah, that seems awfully optimistic, given the differences that exist between the two bills, particularly Mm -hmm. on uh, SNAP requirements. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how they work through that here over the next month, because I think they have an August recess in there, too. Well, the Senate canceled theirs, but the House, you're right, the House is on August recess, I think. Yeah, so I don't know if that's even a possibility, but we're going to continue watching that and see how it progresses. Yeah, so folks, if you've got thoughts on the Farm Bill, what should or should not be included, now's the time to call your senator, call your representative, and make your voice heard. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, voices were heard in Washington, D.C. There has been a complaint, I think a low-level complaint by the dairy industry for years that other products like soy milk, coconut milk, etc. have been using the word milk. And uh, since 1938, milk has been defined as coming from an animal by the FDA. 
And we had an announcement by Scott Gottlieb, the, the uh, head of the FDA, that they're going to start to enforce that. So no oh. longer will coconut milk be called milk. It's going to have to change its name to beverage or juice or, you know, nut juice, which is my <laughs> favorite phrase for it. So but, how are they going to enforce that? I'm not sure. I'm guessing it's going to start with letters. Um, they're going to probably send out letters, say, hey, you know, you need to change the name. They're going to focus in on milk, cheese, yogurt, and ice cream um, as their first four priorities for clearing up naming issues. So those are those mm -hmm. products you just named are all specific to dairy, right? So nothing yeah. can be... I don't know. Yep, you, um, you can't um, have vegan yogurt. cheese is what they're saying. If it gotcha. comes, it has to come from an animal to qualify for any of those four things. And I feel, uh, like, I feel like that's kind of optimistic then for how they're going to handle the labeling of cultured meat. Well, it depends again on who ends up with the uh, the Good jurisdiction over it. Yeah. It could be USDA, which is a very different you know definition. But this is. This is FDA, and it, it, this has been sort of applauded by the dairy industry. At least the FDA is sticking by their, um, you know, their own definitions. But they also say, you know, we know this isn't uh, going to cure the dairy industry. Consumers know that coconut milk and soy milk don't come from cows. But this will at least make sure that there's a level playing field when it comes to what things are called. So right. that's cool. Yeah, it is. Hmm. Hannah, what else do you have for us today? Well, speaking a little bit about Scott Gottlieb, um, so there is a story that came out that said the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and Iowa State University, along with University of Iowa, will help lead a new national institute addressing antimicrobial resistance. So according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, each year in the U.S., at least 2, mil two million people are sickened from bacteria resistance to antibiotics. And around 23,000 people die from those infections. And so this new institute will work towards accelerating discoveries and engage with producers in, in ways to enhance stewardship and prolong the shelf life of these disease prevention tools. So it's pretty interesting reading along um, how all of these universities are going to be working together, but... FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb issued a following statement on efforts to advance antimicrobial stewardship in veterinarian settings, and he was saying that to further these efforts, the FDA will soon implement a new five-year blueprint for how the FDA plans to build on its current programs and how to advance antimicrobial stewardship in veterinarian settings in the next upcoming year. So, they're just wanting to expand on the existing actions and then launch some new programs. But hopefully, you know, they can reduce the overuse of antimicrobial drugs and then combat the rising threat of resistance. Okay, can yeah. I ask a really stupid question before we get too far into this? Uh, yeah, no question is stupid. What you got? <laughs> yeah, only people are stupid, which is what I'm worried about. Um, <laughs> antimicrobials, does that include antibiotics are yes. they the same field okay yes yeah i was okay. reading this um i was reading up on some of this too hannah and the way i understand it is the five-year plan is to address the concern that people get or that animals get resistant to antibiotics or that when people are consuming the food then they can also become you know resistant to certain antibiotics that are used in the livestock so that's the way I understand it is they're, they're trying to do some studies and look at how they can 
basically best utilize antibiotic usage in animals, but still continuing to basically pay attention to public and human health. Absolutely. And I think the research that I've seen on this topic is that the vast majority of resistant um, bacteria come from people who don't follow the course of instructions when it comes to taking their antibiotics there. You know, they take it for four days, feel better and throw three days worth of medication away. And that just leads to uh, to stronger survivors. Like you see, if you mm-hmm. spray a less than full rate of Roundup on a, on anything. Yeah, I guess uh, that's kind of the thought there. Well, we do have some news today coming out of the Ukraine. So we've talked, we talked on Monday with Angie Setzer about some of the trouble that the Ukrainian wheat crop is having. A lot of the winter crops over there face drought and then heavy rains. And as Angie mentioned, some of the wheat is sprouting in the field, which is less than ideal. However, the uh, Ukrainian ag minister said that their corn harvest is probably going to be close to a record this year, and they're going to plan on exporting 10% more of it to China, which is typically who buys Ukrainian corn anyway. They're just looking to maybe take advantage of this trade war and try to grow their market share a little bit. Interesting. So that means potentially a loss of market share for the U.S., or continued loss, I should say. Yeah, yeah, probably. And I mean, 10%, they grew 28 million tons. So it's 2.8 million tons. I mean, it's not a huge amount, nothing to get too concerned about. But, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, markets are constantly changing and always evolving. Mm-hmm. For sure. And while we're speaking about China, okay, I want to I want to tackle this issue because, as I mentioned yesterday, President Trump is threatening again to put more tariffs on Chinese goods. According to the article... I'm reading on Reuters, though, he is consider, considering slapping a 25% tariff on an additional $200 billion worth of Chinese goods. Was the first round of tariffs put on July 10th only a 10% tariff? I thought it was 10 and 25%. Oh, no, you're right. You're right, because I think 25% was just on steel. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Everything else was 10. The, that, that first round of tariffs that, I put on in July, that, he, that they put on in, on July 10th, are going to be increased to 25%, and in total, it's going to include about $200 billion worth of Chinese goods that he's threatening uh, to put on a 25% tariff to. He's trying to, quote-unquote, blackmail China to come to the table, and uh, China has responded saying this blackmail effort is not going to work and that they will retaliate if this does happen. Hmm. Well, you know, that's kind of just the way these things go back and forth yep. and back and forth. Yeah. And I well, okay, I have a quick question here. And this might be a stupid question. But like, do we know who's hurting more in this trade war? I mean, I, I, I know that we're obviously both hurting in this going back and forth. But is there any numbers that who's like been hurt more on these tariffs? That makes sense. A million I, dollar question. Yeah. Um, I think so. The some of the economists that I've t- spoke spoken with, predominantly on Twitter, I've connected with a lot of international economists. Basically, they're able to produce so far graphs showing both sides have been hurt, and then depending on what ideological viewpoint the researcher has, they can make it show one or the other. The truth is we're just, what, a month in the the true trade war so far, and there just hasn't been a lot of data published. So we're just kind of kind of waiting and see, and everything is kind of anecdotal at this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Hannah, do you have any other news for us before we jump into the markets and our conversation today? I just have a quick announcement. So the USDA announced that the seed cotton producers who want to participate in the ARC or PLC programs for the 2018 crop year may now submit applications and the sign-up period ends December 7th. So if we have any cotton producers out there, you can submit your application for those programs. Absolutely. Get on in there. And I just have one other piece of news here, and this concerns the shifting sand in the cattle industry. Green Plains, the ethanol producer, which last year bought some of Cargill's cattle feeding facilities, announced today that they are buying the Bartlett Cattle Company. And so they're basically now they're feeding 355,000 head per day, and they are now the third largest cattle feeder in the country, I believe. Ethanol That's company, crazy. third largest cattle feeder. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. They like well, I had, the distillers. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I have one other quick piece of news as we look at the world of trade, and it's good news finally. The U.S. and Japan are going to start their first high-level round of negotiations beginning August 9th to discuss a bilateral trade agreement. All right. That is good news. Hopefully we can get some deals in place. That's right. That's what we're going for. Fantastic. Well, let's see what all of this deal making has done to the markets for the day. And remember, folks, our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. Give them a call. Marketing is a year round process. It's good to work with partners you can trust. Reach our friends at the Zaner Group at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R dot com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got mixed trade in the grain markets today. In corn, the September contract down seven and a quarter at three. 65 even. December down seven cents, closed at 379 and a half. Soybeans big loser on the day. The August contract down 17 cents at 80.86 and three quarters. The November down 17 and a quarter, still over nine dollars, closed at 901 and three quarters. And wheat back to the upside in the Chicago contract. September wheat up four and a half cents at 558 and a quarter. December up five and a half cents to close at 578 and three quarters. In the world of livestock, we've got some green here on the cattle side of the ledger. August live cattle contract up 95 cents, 108.6250. The October up 97.50 to close at 110.2750. In feeder cattle, the August contract up $2.50, closed at 151.8250. The September up 237.5, finished at 151.95. And mixed trade in lean hogs with the August contract down 87.5 cents at 60.25. The October up a nickel, closed the Today at 50.77.50. Always a quick look at the dairy market in Class 3 milk. We've got green on the screen with the August contract up 10 cents at 14.86 and the September up 7. Finished the day at 15.63. Next, we're going to learn a little bit about green importation and exportation. But before we do that, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. Joined now by agronomy specialist Phil Long from Latham High Tech Seeds. Phil, you get out in the fields a lot working with producers. What have you been seeing this year as far as the corn crop goes? Yeah, so it seems like we've been seeing a lot of nitrogen deficiency showing up. You know, typically later in the season you see that nitrogen firing coming up from the bottom of the plant, and and it's kind of showing up a little bit early this year, Uh, that yellowing and an inverted V shape coming up, and and I've seen some up to the ear leaf, which isn't a good thing, but, uh, you know, we've had a lot of heavy rains and and flooding and ponding early on, and, uh, and even some poor planting conditions that probably contributed uh, to what we're seeing right now. But 
uh, just unfortunate that we're seeing quite this early in, in the corn crop. Phil, if folks are experiencing nitrogen deficiency, what can they be doing in their fields? So unfortunately, you know, when when it's wagging, the, you know, kind of wagging the white flag, it's it's a little too late. Uh, you know, if it's showing right now, it's probably causing damage. But um, you know, there are things you can look for. You know, you're probably going to end up seeing some some tip back, uh, maybe a little more than normal on the ears, and maybe in some poor kernel set to have it, you know, around this pollination time period. And the other thing I'd warn guys against is pay attention at the end of the season for for weaker stocks. You know, because that that corn plant is going to try its hardest to to fill that that ear with nitrogen and protein and and it will cannibalize the stock if it needs to so just something to watch out for when they get closer to harvest absolutely and you can always reach out to any one of the specialists or agronomists there at latham high tech seeds by calling 1-800-GO-LATHAM we are joined today by ricardo moreno who is the purchasing director for protein oil in mexico ricardo first of all thank you so much for joining us today uh, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Ricardo, before we get into your background and what you do as a, the purchasing director, I want to talk a little bit about your history because you have a tie to Iowa and Iowa agriculture. Will you tell us a little bit about your background growing up? Yes, yes. That, that's correct. Um, uh, I was born in Iowa, actually. Uh, my mom's from Iowa. Uh, from a farming family. Uh, my dad's from the uh, state of Yucatan here in Mexico. That's why I'm here. Uh, they both met through a foreign exchange student program. Uh, they, went, they both went to college uh, in New York City. After that, they uh, went back, moved back to Iowa, uh, worked there for a couple years. I was born, and, I was, and then they moved back uh, into my current city, Merida, when I was about one year old and a half. But uh, since then, I've been uh, closely tied to Iowa, going back and forth, uh, visiting my family, and I did a little bit of high school there, finished high school in the great city of Carlisle, Iowa. <laughs> so that was, uh, that's how my, uh, my, my connection to Iowa, Iowa Farm, is uh, it's all about. Very cool. And it's a very small world. And, Ricardo, you've ended up in agriculture down in Mexico. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what your job is as purchasing director there at Proteinol. All right. Uh, I head the purchasing department of uh, uh, Proteinol, which is one of the, uh, I think, one of the top three crushers in Mexico. Uh, we've got two crushing plants. One is in the state of Yucatan in the city of Merida. Uh, we crush about uh, 2,000 tons per day in this plant. Additional to that, we uh, crush canola. We had a wheat meal and a soap factory. Our second plant is in uh, central Mexico, in the state of Guanajuato, in Celaya. And that's uh, crushing about 1,500 tons per day. So um, I had all the uh, logistics in uh originations for both plants honey soybeans the canola the wheat and a little bit of corn we we just uh, opened up uh a brand new white corn milling plant for uh for flour tortillas that's really neat ricardo what when you're crushing all of that product is that staying domestically are you exporting a lot of it what's it being used for both are both of our plants uh, the Yucatan plant and the Central Mexico plant are both located 
in major uh, hogs and uh, poultry producing states. So I would say 100% of our central Mexico uh, soybean meal production stays in, in the state of uh, Guanajuato. And the one that we have in the Yucatan Peninsula, I would say probably 90, 95% uh, stays local, and we export a little bit into uh, the state of uh, Belize. Now, on the oil side of the equation, it's mostly 100% uh, uh, bottles and bulk oils uh, into the Mexican industry and, and supermarket chains, and a little bit goes into export sales into uh, Cuba, a little bit into uh, Honduras and the UN program, which is a mostly Central America and some Caribbean. And Ricardo, I'm curious as to what like a typical day looks like for you. So can you like break down the logistics of all that you have to oversee or who you have to communicate with on a daily basis to do your job between the U.S. and Mexico? Well, mostly in the in, in, in early part of the day is, of course, just watching markets, uh, watching futures markets and uh, oversee how, how that's going, looking to our position, ocean positions, uh, looking to our reports, uh, of course, the uh, all the USDA supply demand reports, daily reports, market, ocean freight, weather markets. And that mostly that mostly is in the like say in the morning after after market closes then you start talking into your uh your suppliers uh, if, uh seeing where your long position is and seeing what what kind of uh positions I'm buying looking for uh talking to uh even even all the way to uh local ele elevators in the stage just to get a feel for what's in the ground, in the country, also. So I try to uh, talk to all uh, as much as people I can pay, talk to in the chain. And that makes a lot of sense given the complexity of you know origination, shipping, crushing the whole process. And you touched on something that I think a lot of our listeners are interested in. We heard earlier today, Bungie reported a, a fairly sizable loss this last quarter due to some trading issues with the trade war in China and all of this stuff. And, of course, we've also been hearing chat, chatter about the United States and Mexico and perhaps shifts in that trade arrangement. As an importer, what are you watching for? What are you concerned about as we move forward with hopefully some kind of NAFTA renegotiation or trade discussion? Look, uh, fortunately, margins in Mexico are fantastic. Hmm. Uh, I think uh, all over the world. I think not only in Mexico, but uh, they're they're fairly good. They're fantastic everywhere. So uh, trade wars have not really affected us much. Uh, NAFTA hasn't. I mean, there's a lot. There's been a lot of discussion within NAFTA, but everybody's trading uh, with the uh, current uh, uh, regulations, so it hasn't uh, affected that much. The only thing I'm worried about is probably where to, as always, I want to have as much as, as much as where it can originate. Okay, I like to keep my my originations op options open. I like to have the U.S. available. I like to have South America available. Uh, 
uh, I tried not to depend on one, but the, the, the I mean, but the the but what's going to drive me is always price and quality. So the only concern I see is that if something comes up within the U.S. and Mexico, it might create a little bit of difficult just to maybe documentation and extra. We have to pay tariffs on that. Uh, there will be a, a little bit of a cash crunch. But I don't see it happening. I mean, I, I just heard that uh, talks are going good. Our new uh, president in Mexico is taking a very open agenda. He just talked about uh, uh, not uh, not succumbing to any of the noise and concentrating on the positive, and he wants to be as open as as possible. Uh, I think at the end everything's going to be smoothing out. Uh, China, 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 China. Now, China relationship with the U.S. has hit the, uh, the prices down, and it has it has limited my ability to source out of Brazil for the time being. Brazil mm-hmm. into Mexico is just uh, out of the question for now. Huh, Ricardo, I want to touch back on a point there. You mentioned that margins are are high for you right now. Is that because yes. U.S. Grains are at such a discount to the world market because of all the trade issues going on. Yeah, yeah, in part of that, but mostly because uh, I mean, meal meal demand has been so strong in the Yucatan and all over all over the world. I guess I mean, this has been a protein-driven uh, crush margin. Uh, the loss of Argentina meal production because of their bad crop uh, last mm-hmm. season really. Okay. Uh, lowered the uh, availability of demand and it just it pushed meal prices up and everybody is crushing as much as possible to get those uh, to to get the advantage of that and uh, and I and, and I guess a little bit it has been low prices but uh, it, it's a combination of both I guess. That makes a lot of sense. And Ricardo, you mentioned uh, you like to keep your origination options open. Of course, a good buyer wants to have a lot of folks to buy from. And yep. you mentioned buying from South America. Now, when I think of yes. exporting grains from the U.S. to Mexico, I imagine it getting on a train and heading south. When you're buying from Brazil, uh, that's all uh, shipped up, right, in the ocean? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. One of my plants is... Go ahead. I was going to ask, yeah, how does that work for logistics once it gets to Mexico? Look, one of my plants is mostly 100% supplied by shuttles, okay? That's my central Mexico plant. It's a very simple logistics. We we crush four shuttles a month, mostly out of Nebraska, a little bit of Kansas, and some of Iowa, okay? Places like Sedan, Hastings, Nebraska, uh, those... uh, those country co-ops, uh, but the one that I have in the in the Yucatan is, is exclusively ocean uh, uh, supply. I have to take uh, vessels into into Progreso, and I mean I got a I, I got a fairly decent ocean spread between uh, the U.S. Gulf into the port and northern Brazil. Uh, new export corridor. I was just there. Uh, last month, they have huge investments in that quarter. Logistics are much, much improved. If a vessel comes in, it goes in. Maybe a two-day window of waiting time, loading in three days, and it comes back up in 12 days. 
Hmm. So, yes, I mean, Northern Brazil corridor into Mexico, I think, is going to be a major player. They need Mexico to source those beans in normal uh, trading uh, conditions, uh, barring this uh, China effect. So, right. they're, 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 uh, they're, uh, they're waiting. I mean, they're, they're expecting Mexico, Mexico to be a, a big buyer, and, and we're going to be there. Uh, quality, quality is low. Protein quality also is a little bit better uh, out of the out of Brazil, and oil uh, availability content in the bean is also uh, much greater. So about one percent. Huh. And is yes. that is that something that's always been true, or have you noticed a shift in both protein and oil content over the years? Uh, it's it's been consistently, uh, and it's not have been over the years. I mean, when I started here, probably fifty ten years ago, it was easy to buy. Out of the Gulf, uh, contract terms, 35 to 35.5 minimum protein content. Now I'm lucky to get at 35.4 down to 34 guaranteed hmm. out of the U.S. So that spread is certain a little bit. The, uh, that spread is certain the U.S. farmer a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, oil, the U. I mean, I can see oil up to probably 20, 21 percent content out of the U.S. and up to 22 percent. Brazilian origin. So once you put everything through the computer and you go apples to apples, uh, there's there's a positive spread towards Brazilian beans. Ricardo, in your travels to Brazil and some of these other Latin American countries, we hear a lot here in the U.S., especially right now with what's going on in China, that they're looking to invest in infrastructure in Brazil, in Mexico, and some of these other Latin American countries to ensure that they can get soybeans or other products um, into China more safely and, and easier. Have you seen that when you've been yes. traveling around? Yes, 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 of course. I mean, I just, I, I went all the way, I went through uh, the Amazon River. That's where they have the new installations. They're amazing. I mean, Louis Dreyfus had just finished the new uh, loading operation in barges. So, yes, uh, China is definitely a major player in the Brazilian market there. They want to be big in there. They want to source a lot of beans out of there. So, yes, it, and it's booming and it's growing still. Mm. Wow. Well, Ricardo, I've just got one one more question for you here. As you look to the future throughout 2018 into 2019, are there any concerns you have about sourcing beans, either obviously, you know, not necessarily trade-related, but yield-related? What What's on your mind? Uh, mostly, I, I, uh, I finished all my needs, uh, all my origination through uh, to 2018. Now I'm looking to buy my my Jan, Feb, March beans. Those those are gonna come out of the Gulf. I don't see any major problems there. Uh, weather looks a little bit dry, but I mean, still non-threatening. It's, uh, soybeans, this generation soybeans out of the U.S. seem, seem to handle. Uh, moisture stress much much better than in the past. So, I mean, we can handle that. Uh, uh, Brazil, I don't think I don't think Brazil will be a player this year into Mexico. We'll see. We'll see what happens with the uh, China talks. They were going to have a, uh, a a statement released today at 2 p.m. So I'm looking forward to see what what's out of there. Uh, my Celaya plant, will, my Central Mexico plant, will be sourced via rail. Hopefully everything continues to be smooth, run smoothly there. Um, maybe looking ahead into 2019, if 
if uh, Argentina and Brazil have uh, uh, major crops again and, and Argentina starts to ramp up their crush, we might see uh, declining we might see declining margins in the first and the second trimester of 2019. Hmm. But uh, things are looking good in Mexico. Crush margins are good, sales are good. We're going forward. We're going forward. Well, Ricardo, we certainly appreciate your time today and your insight into the Mexican importing and crushing markets. Oh, very, very glad to be here, and I hope uh, I was, ho- uh, was helpful. Delaney, that was a great contact to make down there in Colombia. That was really interesting to hear how the process works for getting grains from the U.S. or Brazil into Mexico. Yeah, we had a panel discussion, and he was on that panel with me that I moderated, and he definitely added a lot of substance to the panel and had just has a lot of insight about what's going on trade-wise in with NAFTA relations. Obviously, there what he mentioned with Brazil, just a lot of good stuff going on that he has knowledge of. And it's interesting to hear the hog herd expansion not just happening here in the U.S., also happening in the Yucatan and in central Mexico, and everybody likes eating that pork. Mm-hmm. But beef is still better. Well, yeah. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're raising pork. Right. Then, of course, you have to, yeah, right. you got to side with your industry. Absolutely. you got to bat for your own team. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> well, let's see. Hannah, we'll be back tomorrow, but if folks want to follow up, get more information, or suggest ideas, where should they find us? Folks, you can head to our website at www.agnewsdaily.com. That's where you can leave us a comment, a suggestion, anything. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Ag News Daily. And with that, Delaney, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.